Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus is not as famous as his great uncle, who was Julius Caesar. But Caesar Augustus was actually much more successful and well-known for what he had accomplished. He reigned in Rome and all the Roman Empire for 41 years, I believe. And he established a lot of prosperity, and he established roadway systems. He brought in what was called Pax Romana, and it was actually in the fullness of time, as Scripture says, God came to this earth. In the fullness of time, God knew the exact political and geographical environment that needed to happen for his word to spread. And so when Caesar Augustus decided that he needed more money to build his kingdom... Can you comprehend Rome? It was a city. It wasn't a state. It wasn't a nation. It was a city. And it controlled all the known world of that time around the Mediterranean Sea. It would sort of be like the city of Los Angeles and the mayor of Los Angeles sort of taking over all of North America. That's maybe a little frightening thought that Los Angeles would be in control of Canada and U.S. and and Mexico, right? But... Rome had taken over, and Caesar Augustus, he issued a decree for a census, and the reason he had a census was because he wanted to collect more taxes. And so it was a place that happened, a place and time that actually happened. And Luke is meticulous about recording this. And so when you and I celebrate Christmas, it's just not some, oh, I wish, oh, that all nice, and those kinds of things. No, this is history that we embrace. History that we embraced in a moment in time. So the census was decreed. And when the census was decreed, Mary and Joseph had to make their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Caesar Augustus probably knew the understanding of Jewish people. And they were all tied together with the lineage of their family. And so the family would show back up where their heritage was. Sort of like us taking the red eye. Going back to the Midwest, to Indiana. And it's like this is where a lot of our roots are from as family. And so they made the trek from Nazareth, which was up north, to Bethlehem, which was uh, a few miles just south of Jerusalem. Because that was where their family, their lineage had come from. It was the city of David. Because you see, Jesus would be born from the lineage of King David, who was the greatest king of Israel in the Old Testament. And prophecy throughout Scripture would speak about him coming from the line of David. The Messiah would come from the line of David. And it also says, it says in Micah, that the town of Bethlehem would be the place where this one would come from. Who would have known? Caesar Augustus, all that he's famous for, he's most famous for decreeing a census that got Mary to Bethlehem so that the Messiah would be born historically in the place that was predicted and prophesied centuries before. So they arrived. They arrived, and as we well know, there was a problem. And the problem was there were a lot of people packing out the town of Bethlehem. 
He went there to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and they were expecting a child. We know the story if we've been around church environments, but we're stewarding this story that this young couple, Mary was probably a teenager, very much a teenager most likely, and, and she was a virgin. She had not been with Joseph. They were engaged, if you will, but the betrothal period, she still lived at home with her family. And they had the wedding day coming, and, and then this angel appears and tells her what's going to happen and then another angel affirms to joseph don't run from her and discard her because she's not been with anyone else she's conceived of the holy spirit as the virgin mary she was to bring the christ child into the world and so all this is unfolding in this little town of bethlehem that we sing about a hysterical place in real time, people activity going on. And so they roll into town and how they rolled into town, donkey otherwise, don't fully know that kind of thing. But there was much labor in going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But they had to be there for this census that was being taken. While they were there, the time came, it says, for the baby to be born and she gave birth. She gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You got the picture? You got the story? That's the story of Christmas. Not to blow through Christmas without stewarding well the story. Mary and Joseph trekking from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of the census of of Caesar Augustus, fulfilling the prophecy that this child would be born, the child that had been heralded and proclaimed. 400 years of silence, actually, Scripture teaches before the birth of Christ. But then we have this scene that takes place, and the scene doesn't end here, as we well know. It says this, And there were shepherds, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were excited. No, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. The highest heavens and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels has left them and gone into the heavens, the separate shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. I bring you good news, that angel said. That will be for just a few people. 
just a few centuries? No, all people through all time, past, present, and future. And the good news is this. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to other people? No, to you. He is the Messiah, and he is the Lord. I don't know about you, but I think eons and eternity, and, and maybe today on Christmas Day with some of our uh, parents maybe who have passed on, they're recalling this story too. Because there will be reflection on this incredible Christ entry into the world event. There will also be reflection on the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and the power of the Spirit coming back to dwell within people. All the stories that we cherish in here, those will be carried with us forward into eternity. And they will be the stories that you will remember. Some of your famous movies you really like, they will be forgotten. But not this story, this epic story, this narrative, which is true. And so we steward well this story. And in a couple days, we'll we'll look at more of the proclamation that happened with the angels and the shepherds. But I want us to look on one thing here this morning, and it's this. It's this comment that came from the narrative. No room. No room. No vacancy. You see, when the nativity story is told, we picture Mary and Joseph coming into Bethlehem, and we picture them coming to a place where they need housing. But they are told that there is no guest room available. Now, this isn't like your Motel 6 or some Holiday Inn or something like that, okay? Maybe more like bed and breakfasts or, uh, you know, some type of house sitting and different rooms were used. And so they'd gone from place to place and they could not find any housing in this small town. And in the nativity story scene, oftentimes when it's portrayed on stage, there is an innkeeper. But the reality is we do not know if there was an actual innkeeper or not. But every children's play that I've seen, there's sort of the innkeeper. Maybe some of you were in those kinds of plays. Well, it was interesting. Uh, the story I came across in Guide post from a few years ago talks about children putting on a nativity presentation that was quite known in their small midwestern town and looked forward to every year but there was one year in particular a number of years back that everybody recalls and starts talking about and they give reference to wally perling now wally perling was a nine-year-old boy he was in second grade. He should have been in fourth grade, but he had challenges. And so he was, you know, held back some and he was, he was a little bit awkward. And he was, he was a bigger kind of uh, boy and everybody else around him in his class was smaller. And he was sort of awkward and clumsy in some way, but he was very pleasant. And everybody liked to be around Wally. And so it came time for the play, and, and he'd always wanted to be involved in different things. There would be games that people play, and they're like, we don't know if we want Wally on our team, are you sure? And he would just stand pleasantly waiting for his turn. He would always sort of try to protect somebody that's being bullied, like, you know, hey, leave him alone, that kind of thing. So when this nativity scene came around that was popular in that town, he wanted to be one of the angels and play the flute. 
but the director was a little apprehensive about him doing that because there were a lot of lines and other things, so they were trying to figure a part for him to play, and so they figured, well, he would make a great innkeeper, wouldn't he? Because he sort of has a presence to him and that kind of thing, and, and there's not a lot of lines, and so he ended up practicing for this part of the innkeeper in the very popular children's nativity scene that occurred. And so it came the night of the production and the house was packed and everybody was there and they were looking forward to it. Everybody had their places, but there was no one more enchanted by the wonder of all the story that was being portrayed by all the other children and the props and the costumes and everything going on than Wally. In fact, the director was concerned as Wally was standing to the side that he might you know, pop an entry too early or something because he was so excited about it. And so it came time for Mary and Joseph to check in. And they came up to the door of the inn. And right on cue, Wally popped open the door. And he said, what do you want? And Joseph said, we are seeking lodging. And Wally said, there is none here. The end is full. Joseph, he said, well, we have sought in vain and we have come a long way. Surely there is something. And Wally, right on cue, boisterously said, there is no room in the end. And downcast, Mary looked at Joseph and Joseph looked at Mary and he tried one more time. He said, please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She is heavy now with child and needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. She is so tired. At that point, for the first time, the innkeeper sort of relaxed his brow and his face softened. And the director and a few others that had been around started to get concerned about what Wally was going to do. That maybe Wally was going to go off script. And so someone from the side shouted out, No, be gone. No, be gone. No, be gone. And so he looked at Joseph and Mary and he said, No, be gone. To which Joseph turned around, put his arm around Mary, and they started to walk and wander off the stage because there was no room in the end. But as they got a few feet away, the disposition of Wally sort of relaxed even more. And he said, wait, Joseph, bring Mary back. To which the director and everybody else says, oh, no, it's going to happen. So he brings them back and he says, you can have my room. <laughs> now some people in the audience went, cringe moment, he just ruined the nativity. But other people thought it was one of the most memorable years of the nativity set ever. And so when they recall the past years of the nativity Drama, they remember the year that Wally Perling broke down and he said, no, you can have my room. 
I don't know what it is about that story or some things I just want to put before you. But maybe, just maybe, what you and I need to answer this Christmas, whether we've known Jesus for a long time or maybe we're still struggling with understanding this narrative, if it's historical or not or what it really means, is there room? Is there room in your life for him? And so I ask you today, will you welcome Jesus Christ into your life? There's a famous verse, it's in Revelation actually, it says this, words of Jesus. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I will fellowship. I will sup with them. I, I would never, ever have expected when I would travel home for Christmas to that farmhouse there was no need to knock on a door then. We would open the garage door that walked into the back porch, and it always has a certain kind of squeak to it. And when you walk through that door, there's the back porch and the, and the laundry machines and racks for some of the coats. And, and then you walk through another door, and I'd walk through that door, and there would be my mom. And when my dad passed away five years ago, it would, would have been my dad as well. And they would have never said, No room! Be gone. They would say what? So good to see you. Welcome. You're going to get that embrace. You're going to be giving that embrace. That hospitality embrace. But it's more, it's a loving embrace. Welcome in, be here. And Jesus says, he stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. And there's, no handle on the outside, it's on the inside. And we are to open up our hearts. But many times, in your life and our, my, our, our life, or maybe you're here this morning and this is your disposition, you would be like the innkeeper. No room. Be gone. But yet the Spirit's voice continues to speak to you over and over again. You don't even know how to describe it. But there's something still small inside of you that speaks. And you're longing, well, is there something more? Or what is that? Or should, should I be living a different way of life? And it's really the Spirit of Jesus Himself. And He is asking you, will you open the door of your life? So my question to you is, will you welcome Jesus into your life? My second question is this. Will you make room for Christ in your life? You know, a lot of times we welcome people in. We bring them into the living room and then you walk through the kitchen. You would sit in the living room and, and you would have conversation and you would talk and you would kid and you would joke and the tree was there and some presents were there. I remember my grandma's house. We all used to always go there on Christmas Eve and she, she had a fireplace or like a fireplace here and the stockings were, were hung around it and, and we were extended family together for that Christmas Eve. And so the living room would become a place where you would just hang and have great community and fellowship. And so Jesus wants to come into your life, 
but you don't leave them in the foyer. You bring them into the living room experience and you begin to commune with them and you make room for them. And some of us, we've brought Jesus into our life and he has lived in our life, but we're starting to ignore him and we just sort of see him as the the regular guest. And you and I have to work hard this Christmas season amidst all the hustle and bustle to make room for Jesus in the presence aspect of loving and caring for him and who he is. Blaise Pascal, very intelligent person. He was a protege, actually, and he, he actually is a father of the mother of computers. Some people say because he built some one of the first calculators kind of things. He was involved in physics and math and everything. In the later years of his life, though, he turned towards philosophy and, and theology and understanding because he had this great hunger, this great mind, and he knew science, had a great hunger for what is ultimate truth. He heard that prodding on his heart, and he has this quote, It is in vain, O men, that you seek within yourselves the cure of all your miseries. All your insight only leads you to the knowledge that it is not in yourselves that you will discover the true and the good. You see, it's not by ourselves or with us that we are going to find ultimate meaning and purpose, but it's by him coming into our life. In fact, probably one of the more famous quotes of Belas Pascal is this. It says, there is a God-created vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Will you welcome Jesus into your life? Will you make room for Him in your life? John 14, 23, Jesus said this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. You know, there's a need to answer these two questions, but there's a third question I want to put to us today as we sort of finish out this idea of making room. And it's this, will you surrender to Christ all of your life. There's a little booklet that was written a few years back. I remember reading it. I don't know why. It's just always carried in my head. It's called My Heart, Christ Home. Any of you recall this? And it just hangs with me. And the author was a Presbyterian minister and And he framed up this whole idea of Christ coming into your life and how he grows you spiritually and what he does in your life as if he was the guest that you invited into your home. And as you invited him into your home of your heart, he would, you know, take his place. And then you would start to show him parts of your house and he would start to walk around your house and he would be pointing things out and and in this little booklet that talks about how Jesus went into the library and and the owner was a little embarrassed about the books that were on the shelves or some of the media stuff and it's like oh I don't know if he would think about that and Jesus looks around the library and he says well these some of these are okay he says would you like me to redo your library and bring you some truth and some other kinds of uh, knowledgeable things that would be really helpful and the owner said sure you, you you're gonna have the library you can rearrange it and and then they went into the dining room and the dining room had to do with appetites and what are the appetites in your life you know the appetites for money or or education or or prestige or something like that and he said jesus wanted to take over my dining room and rearrange the the appetites that i had 
And then I brought him into the living room, and the living room was about community and hanging with them. And he says, I would just like to meet with you here every morning. And then he writes that later one day he came down and he saw Jesus still sitting there. And he says, well, what are you here for? And he says, I told you I would meet you here every morning if you would spend time with me. And so they're really disturbed, right, to the owner of the house. And, and then he says, well, let me show you some other places. And they went to the workroom and what he was trying to create. And he really wasn't creating too well. And he says, you want me to help you with your gifts? And then he went to the rec room. And in the rec room was like what all he and his friends would sort of do. And he was a little bit embarrassed about what they did with their free time. And he said, you know, I don't know. And, and, and room by room, they would go around. And he would say, you take over this room and you take over this room. So it wasn't just the concept of inviting Jesus into your life. You were inviting Jesus to take over rooms of your house. And it closes this way with one more room called the hall closet. There is just one more matter I might share with you. One day I found him waiting for me at the door. An arresting look was in his eye. As I entered, he said to me, there is a peculiar odor in the house. There is something dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew he was what he was talking about. Yes, there was a small closet up there on the landing, just a few square feet, and in that closet, behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anyone to know about, and certainly I did not want Christ to see them. I knew they were dead and rotting things left over from my old life. And yet I loved them, and I wanted them so for myself, and I was afraid to admit that they were there. Reluctantly, I went up to him, and as he mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed at the door, and he says, it's in there, some dead thing. I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the living room, the work room, the playroom, and now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet? I said to myself, this is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this odor, you are mistaken. I will take my bed out on the back porch. I'm certainly not going to put it up with that, put up with that. Then I saw him start down the stairs. When you have come to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense his fellowship retreating from you. I had to surrender. I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you'll have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. I know, he said. I know you haven't. Just give me the key. Just authorize me to take care of that closet, and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it from my hand, walked over to the door, opened it, entered it, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there, and he threw it away. Then he cleansed the closet and painted it, fixed it up, doing all in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. Then a thought came to me. Hey. I said to myself, I've been trying to keep this heart of mine clear for Christ. I start on one room and no sooner have I cleaned that than another room is dirty. I begin on the second room and the first room becomes dirty again. I am so tired and weary trying to maintain a clean heart and an obedient life. I am just not up to it. So I ventured a question, Lord, is there any chance you might take over the responsibility of the whole house and operate it for me and with me? 
just as you did that closet? Would you take the responsibility to keep my heart what it ought to be and my life where it ought to be? I could see his face light up as he replied, certainly, that is what I came to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. That is impossible. Let me do it through you and for you. That is the way. But, he added slowly, slowly, I am not the owner of this house. I am just a guest. I have no authority proceed since the property is not mine. I saw in a moment and dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you have been a guest. And I have been the host. From now on, I'm going to be the servant. You are going to be the owner and master and Lord. And so running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the little title deed to the house, describing its assets and liabilities, location and situation and condition. I eagerly signed it over to belong to him alone for time and eternity. Here I said, here it is, all that I am and have forever. You now run the house. All just remain with you as your servant and friend. And so he took my life that day. And I can give you my word. There is no better way to live the Christian life. He knows how to keep it in shape. And deep peace settles down on the soul. May Christ settle down and be at home in your heart. And be Lord of all. You got any closets? Are you holding on to ownership of your house? Because when Jesus came, he came to be Lord. And it's sometimes said that he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I'll tell you this, this whole Christmas event, it doesn't have the power and the punch until you relinquish control of all of your life. You think you can do better. I think I can do better sometimes. But friends, there's stenches around and we can't keep it up. Turn your life over to him. Not only welcome him into the heart. Not only making room for him and a living room to commune with him. But surrender. Turning the deed, the title over. Let him have it all. It says this in Ephesians 3.16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into him. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. As we sometimes say, becoming fully alive in Christ. The three questions. Will you surrender? You have a room. You have a house. You have a place. No be gone. Where you come and you have it all. And it's interesting, it's not only this whole analogy of God coming to us and wanting to have a place in our heart, but just that same word that's in that text there in Ephesians that he would come to make his home in our hearts. 
It's the same terminology that's used when Jesus was talking to his disciples shortly before the cross. He told them in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare. I wouldn't have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas, he was concerned after Jesus said, and you know the way to the place where I'm going. And he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And then there's this famous line. It's a line for us to hear today as we close. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to have a moment in time here for you to reflect on a prayer that we're going to pray. We're going to just establish a little bit of a living room scene. Because I want you to reflect and not be rushed into this idea. When you give over the deed of your house, that's a pretty big deal. Right? You won't just frivolously do it. But that decision to welcome Jesus into your life, to make room for him and to surrender all to him so that you can live with him forever in the rooms that he's preparing for you is a sobering kind of step of faith. And so I want you to reflect on this prayer. Could you pray this today? Jesus, I acknowledge my need of you. I believe you are God and were born into this world to save the world and me from sin. I open the door of my heart to make room for you today. Forgive me, dwell with me, and empower me to live for God's purposes and in his kingdom forever. You see, it's really not the words. It's not the words, it's the volition of the heart. So, will you come? Will you come and allow Christ to take residence in your life, but for you to take residence in his eternal kingdom? For on that night, 2,000 years ago, there was no room in the inn. Silly innkeeper. If he would have said yes and given up his room, he would have been in every nativity set for 2,000 years. But the innkeeper's not in the nativity set. Shepherds are. And the wise men who came later are. And the, and the cattle and the sheep are, right? Where are you at in the nativity scene? Are you in? Are you surrendered? That silent night, that holy night, comes to you. Will you surrender your life to Christ this morning? Will you be able to pray this prayer with me in a few moments? Think on these things and listen to the Spirit of Jesus who wants to make 
your heart his home because he is preparing a home for you. and adore him and give him your life today that simple prayer that we had up there you can repeat these words after me whether you've prayed them long ago or this morning is the first time Jesus I acknowledge my need of you I believe you are God that you were born into the world to save save the world and me from sin. I open the door of my heart to make room for you today. Forgive me. Dwell within me and empower me to live for God's purposes and his kingdom forever.
Gino and Judy Scharfenberg shared at the women's boutique just a month ago. I sat in that back corner in that prayer area. She sat here on a stool because she'd been weak from a prior bout of cancer. She gave one of the clearest gospel presentations I've heard in a while. And she told people afterwards, she said, if you prayed that prayer with me, the one that she gave, I'm in a booth right out beyond that door. I want you to come and tell me. And in that women's boutique, two people came up to her at her booth and said, I committed my life to Jesus Christ today. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do the same, whether it's myself or Joe. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, inviting Christ into your life, would you let us know? Because we would like to encourage you. On the back of your Connect card, you can mark it and we can follow up with you. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Thanks for making room. He will never, ever disappoint you. Because from the manger to the cross to the empty tomb, Jesus came into this world for you. Amen. The ushers are going to come as we sing a refrain of that again to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. May you enter into this season with joy because a Savior has been born to you. Oh uh-huh.